Third part and final of session 90. Let's discuss here the plan of the logos. Let's begin. In the last episode, we discussed a lot about the logos design uh, or the architecture of this octave. Remember that when we talk about octave in this um, in this context, we're talking about the creation within a specific logos. In this case, the sun. And so there is what we could call a design per star or per logos, and yeah, the structure and the direction in which it wants to experience itself is set by the, um, the plan of the logo. So that's what we're going to explore to a certain degree here. And this is a conversation that started in the last session. And I want to recap some of the things that were said. Uh, they were talking about Don and Ra, about um, the the presence of what we call the negative path uh, very heavily on our solar system, meaning that we had Mars, Maldic, and now Earth seeing the same belligerent behavior of wanting to destruct us and destroy ourselves, right? Self-destruction. And, you know, this is... I, I wouldn't say that this is precisely the negative path, uh, but more like the result of our anatomy and so they talked about that in the design of the logos how our anatomy is or was created for us to uh, two crucial things one have opposable thumbs to create more physical things and um, rely more on on our physical prowess as opposed to our mental prowess which is closer to the creator and the use of intelligent energy through the mind and so on. Uh, and then was speech. Speech instead of telepathy, where we have more confusion. And Ra talked about this, saying that this intensified the veil. Because the veil is the veil of forgetting, so we forget who we are. And so this intensifies who we are because we cannot communicate properly. So two major things, our physicality over our mind and speech over concept communication, which is telepathy. That is much more clear, less misunderstanding. The world would be so much different if we didn't have that. But this is what we have and this is what we're experiencing, right? So um, we were exploring all of that. And then Don asked um, if, um, if there was an inborn quality to, uh, inborn inherent is the word maybe, if it was inherent in the archetypes to express uh, both service to self and service to others. And Ross said, yes, of course. And so the last part was Don asking if, um, if both, right, positive and negative, where he says either the positive or the negative polarized entity can find hints along his path as to the efficiency of that path. So they talked about the efficiency of the paths. Uh, Ra suggesting basically that it was the positive path the one that was the one hinted, you know, to be the most efficient. Uh, they didn't say it, but 
Don correctly assumed that, and it's safe to assume that that's what it was there. Um, but then, yeah, Ra explained that this is um, this was correct. They talked a little bit about uh, second density environments, placing these biases and uh, in the structure of our own uh, of our own self, meaning that it was through. I would say the mammals that we can see that uh, animals have a tendency towards uh, love and cherishing their uh, their offspring, and so that creates more polarization towards the positive service to others, of course. So small details you can watch all that in the last episode, but this brought us to uh, what Ross said, which I kind of like and I love that this Logos has a bias towards kindness. So it enjoys kindness, is, um, it, it wants to express that in this experience. So there are some biases to create that, that view in, in who we are. So that brings us fresh to the first question that I have here for today. Let's get to it. First question is question 22 where Don says, then you say that the more efficient of the two paths was suggested in a subliminal way to second density to be the service to others path. Am I correct? And Ra, like before they say, we did not state which was the more efficient path. <laughs> However, you are correct in your assumption as you are aware from having examined each path in some detail in previous querying. So, See, that's why Don talked about second density here, because it was hinted, right? And it was suggested, hinted in the uh, in the structure of the second density development or evolution that it was a lot more efficient to take care of your offspring, right? And so that carried over to third density, and that's who we are, right? So we have a tendency towards kindness to take care of each other. We know this, we don't need to um, learn this um, conceptually. It's, it's a natural thing in us to want to help each other, unless you know we're very, very damaged. And if we're very, very damaged, then we cannot do this. You know, it's, it's against our belief system of everything being dangerous for us. That's what a damaged being is to me. Somebody who sees threats all over and doesn't see the, the unity or at least senses the unity of all things and love as, you know, the the primal morality. Morality should be love always. Um, should be permeated by love. But okay. Um, so yeah, Ra Ra explains that it is correct in essence that the positive path is the most efficient. Let's see the next question. Question 23, Don says, would this be the reason for the greater positive harvests? I suspect that it isn't, but would there be logoi that have greater negative percentage harvests because of this type of biasing? It's a good question. Ross says, no, there have been logoi which greater, with greater percentages of negative harvests. However, the biasing mechanisms cannot change the requirements for achieving harvestability either in the positive or in the negative sense. And here's a, I guess, an important point that um, 
You see, that this is why I said that I don't think that the destruction of Maldic and Mars and our own belligerent uh, nature is due to uh, negative, although it it thrives, you know, negativity thrives there, but even Ra has said that you can polarize positively in war, you see, because of the actions. You're given so many catalysts and opportunities to, you know, to open your heart to other people in suffering, whether it be, you know, your, your own team, I'm going to call it your own country, whatever, uh, or the others, you know, many, so many cases in wars where we can see this, this relationship between, you know, the, the enemy and you. We see these people trying to, to help each other and uh, in World War II, I know there were so many cases, uh, a German Nazi who was supposed to win, you know, his, his greatest achievements by um, taking down the last plane and this last plane you know, showed up to him weak and easy, like an easy prey, and he went after it. And after he went behind the plane, he realized that, you know, it, there was no, there was no pride in taking down a plane that was already damaged and ready to fall. So what he did instead of just going away was that he tried to warn, you know, the people that they were going in the wrong direction. Was trying to tell him, but they couldn't get it, you know, in, in that technology at that time. He was making some signs and they were just wondering why he wouldn't take them down. So he thought they thought they were going to take him prisoners and there was a whole story behind it. But, you know, you can see this military genius, uh, um, a pilot ready to take, you know, somebody, somebody down for his medal and he just noticed no, this is this is not right, you know. I, so many things like that. So I, I don't think you know negativity is inherent in war, is our reaction to it. And Ross says that the bias, biasing mechanisms cannot change the requirements for achieving hard stability, either in the positive or in the negative sense, because that's our decision. That's how we feel. That's free will. It is not within the biasing mechanisms, uh, but it is true. What Ross says that there have been logoi with greater percentages of negative harvest. So maybe um, the biasing mechanisms can make it so, yeah, there is a greater preponderance of uh, negativity or positivity. So, yeah, I, I kind of, that, that makes sense to me. Rock continues though and says, there are logoi which have offer a neutral background against which to polarize. This logos chose not to do so, but instead to allow more of the love and light of the infinite creator to be both inwardly and outwardly visible and available to the sensations and conceptualizations of mind, body, spirit should be complex, but they said mind, mind body, spirits undergoing its care in experimenting. Um, so again, that should be mind-body-spirit complex, but they they didn't say it. It should be because they're talking about our octave of creation. So this was post-veil, and it requires a complex for the mind-body-spirits. 
So okay, uh, they inform us that there are logos who have offer a neutral background, so not towards positive or negative in some degree. Um, I guess that's what they're saying. Um, how's that accomplished? I don't know. Could it be through the biasing mechanisms? Maybe, but they said that that shouldn't um, affect the harvestability because that's a function of free will. The biasing mechanisms cannot change the requirements for achieving harvestability. So yeah, I don't. I'm not sure what the neutral background would be. Um, but yeah, it could be this because they're. Yeah, next they're saying this logos chose not to do so, but instead to allow more of the love and light. So we can see more of the love and light of the creator here, of this nature of reality. We can see it more. And this will make a little bit more sense also with the next questions. But yeah, so far, uh, that's what we have. We have um, a creation or this octave of experience within this logos that has a tendency more to show the love and light of unity of the creation in general and so um, this was done to or created to be both inwardly and outwardly visible so in the world and inside you and available to the sensations and conceptualizations of us so in our sensations it is inherent in our conceptualization so not only in physical experimentation or experience but also in mental conceptualizations let's move to the next one don asks where there were there any other circumstances biases consequences or plans set up by the logos other than those we have discussed for the evolution of its parts through the densities unlike evolution of its parts. Uh, Ra says, yes, there are some other elements. And Don says, what were these? Ra says, one more. That is the permeability of the densities so that there may be communication from density to density and from plane to plane or subdensity to subdensity. Now, this adds a little bit more of information as to what kind of other experiences might be out there, right? Because if we know our experience to be permeable, right, with other densities, obviously, raw being sixth density, uh, sub-densities that are informing our reality and so on. So this is because there is permeability, Ra says. This is part of the design of the logos, of the plan of the logos, is to have communication from density to density and from plane to plane or sub-density to sub-density, which means our our own inner planes in third density. So that's not possible in other logos? Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, that's what they're saying, right? So I suppose, but it's, um, it's interesting that it could be so uh, hermetic, right? So sealed off, you cannot have communication with your inner planes, just leaves you to imagine the kinds of experiences that are possible out there uh, and that we are experiencing, not we as the ego, but we consciousness, us consciousness, the one consciousness. 
I the one? What else does Dong ask? Question 26. He says, then as I see the plan for the evolution by this logos, it was planned to create as vivid an experience as possible, but also one which was somewhat informed with respect to the infinite creator and able to accelerate progress as a function of will because of the permeabilities of densities. Have I covered accurately the general plan of this logos with respect to its evolution? And Ra will say, accepting the actions of the unmanifested self and the actions of self with other self, you have been reasonably thorough. So Don is basically compiling both things that Ra said and saying that, you know, this is in general what the Logos design, right, which was The, to create a vivid, let, let's dissect what Don said. It was planned to create as vivid an experience as possible. Okay, that means intensifying the veil, right? This is this is the way Don's understanding was formulated, I think, right? He says, okay, so it was planned to create as vivid an experience as possible. Why? Because we intensified the veil. Remember, intensifying the veil creates a more vivid experience. Um, so by doing this with opposable thumb and reliance on physical as opposed to mental powers uh, and also speech to rely more on verbal, abstract, very narrow communication as opposed to telepathy and concept communication. So that's what intensifying the experiences. And it's taken from what Ra said before. Okay. Then he says, but also one which was somewhat informed with respect to the infinite creator, right? This is taking the fact that there is a more visible reality to who we are, right? We're not neutral here we know we know that we should take care of each other so that's a that's a bias towards kindness that's a bias of saying you know this is th this path may be more efficient <laughs> see uh, so that's the other part where don says that uh, we were somewhat informed with respect to the infinite creator and lastly he says and able to accelerate progress as a function of will because of the perme permeabilities of densities that's pretty... Don was a pretty smart guy. I don't know if you have noticed. <laughs> he knew. I mean, he was he was going through this pretty well uh, with his own mind, which is you know, the reason why we have this material the way it is. Um, and as Jim McCarthy says, you know, he was he was the man born for this for this channeling for this uh, for this material. This was his work. That's what he came to do. So, yeah, this is how we accelerate our progress because we can communicate. There is permeability. It's not sealed off. We can access that if we want to. And we do so in dreams and visions and meditation and uh, all kinds of experiences that go beyond this physicality or this space-time reality. 
So yeah, that's what Don said. And then um, Rise accepting, well, they're saying accepting the actions of the unmanifested self, meaning that you have been reasonably thorough, except that you didn't mention the unmanifested self, which is the self that is, um, it doesn't require others to manifest. It is that blossoming of the creator uh, naturally it doesn't need anything to be um, and yet it is being that and the interaction between self with other self so those two are important as well for Ra so let's go to the next question question 27 Don says then is the major mechanism forming the ways and very essence of the experience that we presently experience here, the archetypical mind and the archetypes? Not totally, I would say. And Ross says, these resources are a part of that which you refer to. So again, the archetypical mind is not everything, but it is all that informs our experience. Uh, it's the lens, again, I'll use the analogy of the lens, very limited as it may be, but it's the lens through which this Logos decides to experience itself. There are plans to seeing though. See, seeing is prior to uh, archetypical mind. Pri seeing is prior to the lens. Consciousness is prior to, um, to mind. And so how we configure the mind is independent or rather what we are is independent from the configurations of the mind. So, um, yes, the, these resources are, resources are part of this, which is the experience, right? The very, um, the very essence of the experience, but not all. Next question. Question 28, Don says, what I am really asking is what percentage part, roughly, are these responsible for, the archetypical mind? And this is a very off question. Ross says, we ask once again that you consider that the archetypical mind is a part of the deep mind. There are several portions to this mind. The mind may serve as a resource. To call the archetypical mind the foundation of experience is to oversimplify the activities of the mind-body-spirit complex. To work with your query as to percentages is therefore enough misleading in any form of direct answer that we would ask that you re-question. So, you see, um, I think this makes it more clear than um, Ra has said this in this very session before, right? You say, consider that the archetypical mind is a part of the deep mind. It's not the deepest, it's not the full roots of the mind, but it's part of the archetypical, I'm sorry, of the deep mind, which the deep mind goes all the way to what we know as consciousness or simply spirit it makes contact with the shuttle of spirit. So yeah, the archetypical mind is a portion. It's a very important one, of course, because that's how we experience ourselves through that. But we are not dependent on that. 
we are not that let's put it that way and so this goes into um see for example when when people are described by their astral chart i think it is natal natal chart i forget in english but is you know that astrology chart that says everything about you you know and it's a very important one it's a very it's a, it's a useful i would say it's a useful thing to know the configuration of your mind you know you go into archetypes here and uh, influences and so many things that go beyond my own understanding but all of this in the end is um yeah it's a it's a helpful way to know the configuration of your mind i think it's called the enneagram as well and you know helpful as that is it still is limited to the expression of being and so identifying yourself with that is informational as it may be is limited because you want to go to the core of your being if you want to know yourself then well you have to know yourself not what characteristics you have you want to know the core of yourself and so yeah i think this emphasizes that once again um so Ross says there are several portions to this mind to the deep mind the mind may serve as a resource to call the archetypical mind the foundation of experience is to oversimplify the activities of the mind body spirit complex there's way more to us than the archetypes to work with your query as to percentages is then i won't read the rest it's just saying although i do like that they say uh, it would be enough misleading in any form of direct answer so there's nothing that we can say directly to to answer in percentages that would satisfy you and actually satisfy the reality of the mind so sounds complicated but it isn't it's just let's not get uh too infatuated with um with the archety archetypical mind as being the the basis of everything uh, it's a very informative one like i said but it's not the uh it's not the end it's not or it's not the beginning it's not the the alpha and the omega next pregunta question in spanish by the way question 29 don says that's okay i don't think there was a, that good a question anyway now when ra initially planned for helping the egyptians with their evolution what was the most or the primary concept and also secondary and tertiary if you can name those that ra wished to impart to the egyptians in other words what was ra's training plan or schedule for making the egyptians aware of what was necessary for their evolution so uh, i think this was one of don's side questions <laughs> where he said in case I run out of questions, I'll ask this. Um, but yeah, more of Ra and their work and intention in Egypt. Ra says, we came to your peoples to enunciate the law of one. We wish to impress upon those who wish to learn of unity in, I'm sorry, that in unity, all paradoxes are resolved. All that is broken is healed. All that is forgotten is brought to light. We had no teaching plan as you have called it, 
in that our intention when we walked among your peoples was to manifest that which was requested by those learned teachers to which we had come. There's more to this answer, but I have to make a, a pause here. And um, this is a great opportunity to reestablish what the purpose of this seeking is, what the purpose of spiritual seeking is. And let me set the stage for this because what are we reading here? We are reading the social memory complex called Ra that resides or has its beingness in the sixth density. This sixth density is the density of unity, of no polarity, or as we call it here in our traditions, non-duality. There is no two, all is one. So their view and their communication, their information is coming from that point of view. There is no polarity, everything has been reconciled, all paradoxes have been resolved. Why do they teach that? Because that's what they live. That is their essence of being. They cannot see anything else but unity. Okay, so if we are receiving information from this social memory complex, which I like just to call a resource rather than an entity, is a resource of intelligence within the cosmos of a particular experience that was had here next to us in Venus. So that information when once we understand that the universe is intelligence is not intelligent it's intelligence the universe is pure intelligence and it's manifesting that intelligence into energy that energy is information that information has been evolving through time as we call ra and that information is now distilling back to us i know that's a great introduction to this <laughs> so once we know this then we can say what is their message what do they want why did they come along the egyptians and what did they want to teach so ra says we came to your peoples to enunciate the law of one hmm. what is the law of one well in the simplest way they have put it is that all is one the only thing that exists is unity there is no separation you are everything, every thought, every emotion, every being, you are. That is the law of one. All right, so why would you want to say that? Well, we wish to impress upon those who wish to learn of unity, that in unity all paradoxes are resolved. First, of, first and foremost, to those who wish to learn, to learn um, about unity, they taught that. They wanted to give that. I, I feel like everything is one. Well, Ra came and said, oh, people who want to know about us, not us, because we are not unity. We are living in that density of unity, learning the ways of unity. So we can talk about that. We can express that. So in unity, all paradox, paradoxes are resolved to all that is broken is healed. That's a very important one because we're looking for healing here. here. And all that is forgotten is brought to light. Everything that we didn't know, it's now clear, visible. This is the path of the mystic. The mystic sees all paradoxes resolve. 
the non-dual teacher, the non-dual, uh, it's not even a teacher, the non-dual self, right? He who doesn't have an other is just the same self. Well, all paradoxes are resolved. All that is broken is healed. And all that is forgotten is brought to light. Pure consciousness. And so that's, that's what Ra intended to, to give. They said, we had no teaching plan, the way you have called it. Our intention when we walked among your peoples was to manifest that which was requested by those learned teachers. Those are the people requesting information spiritually. And so they came basically to serve those who were calling them. And their message was that we want to teach you the law of one, which is that everything is one. You're not separate. You're not suffering. You are not a an individual being. And that's because you asked for it. You're listening to this because you asked for it too. And so ask and you shall receive. <laughs> so in a way, this teaching is distilling now to you. So that's your path, as it seems, is to resolve all paradoxes within yourself, not in the universe, because the universe is created by you. It's not a universe that needs to be resolved by us. Well, I mean, us collectively, I mean, individually, we do have to solve these paradoxes. How do we do it? We go inside. We find out who we are. Let's read more of what they said in this question. They say, we are aware that this particular line of querying, that is the nature and architecture of the archetypical mind has caused the questionnaire to attempt to its own mind unsuccessfully to determine the relative importance of these concepts. We cannot learn teach for any, nor would we take this opportunity from the questioner. However, we shall comment. So they're going to comment on this. I just wanted to uh, emphasize what they said here is that I think they're basically saying, Don, I think, or not think, we know, uh, we are aware that your questions, um, which are about the nature of the architecture of the, the mind, the archetypical mind, has made you unsuccessful to determine the importance of these concepts. Right? So you're seeking you know, the importance of these concepts. Why? In essence, Don is wanting to explore the archetypical mind, to, to know about the archetypical mind and its influence on us as humans. And Ra is saying, although you're trying to learn the archetypical minds, we cannot teach you directly. You have to do your work, basically. But they're going to comment. That comment is, the adept has already worked much, not only within the red, orange, yellow, and green energy centers, but already in the opening of the blue and indigo. Up through this point, the archetypes function as the great base or plinth of a builded structure or statue, keep in the mind complex, viable, level, and available as a resource whenever it may be evoked. So. See, it's like the archetypical mind is the basis, the foundation in which the experience is built. So as experience is sifted through the archetypical mind and of course our own 
um, interpretation of experience, then our evolution per se is being unfolding. It's unfolded. Um, so that is the structure of the mind uh, at this level, right? It's interesting that they mentioned the adept, right? The adept has done a lot, not a lot, but they say worked much, uh, not only within red, orange, yellow, lower energy centers, but green uh, energy centers, but also blue and indigo. So it has work on all of them, but primarily on those lower ones. Um, and up through this point, the archetypes function as a great base or plinth of a builded structure or statue. So it's keeping the mind stable, right? In essence, that's what it is. It's keeping the mind stable. Uh, so learning about the archetypal, the archetypical mind, of course, is very helpful to understand your own processes, what you're going through, and, um, you know, just, it gives you reassurance, let me put it that way, it gives you a lot of reassurance to, to accept things as they are, and to know this is the reason why, you know, this is happening the way it is, fine. Um, it helps to create acceptance, I would say, and that's a, that's a huge asset in this um, in 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 this arsenal that we have. They finish with one last point, I believe. Yes, saying there is a point at which the adept takes up its work. This is the point at which a clear, unconscious consideration of the archetypical mind is useful. So, again. Um, there is a point in which the adept, so this is advanced work, I suppose. Um, so they're mentioning that point where the adept takes up its work. This is the point at which a clear and conscious consideration of the archetypical mind is useful. So there's need, there needs to be some work, inner work. I don't know how much, I don't, they don't explain what it is. Um, I don't think they could anyway, but I would say, I would venture to say that it is, like they said before, creating the structure of who, who are you and how do you experience reality? If you're still confused, then the adept is still working on, on finding, you know, its own foundation. You need to find the foundation and the the foundation of all is the self. So that's why we direct this to the self, always. You won't be wrong, you won't, you won't get it wrong if you bring this investigation to the self, to you, to who you are. That is what I've been saying uh, causes, of course, all the, the spiritual trinkets that we get, like uh, raising the Kundalini, they're all side effects. They're all side effects of realizing who you are healing, ego dissolution, being able to meditate, uh, uh, mental deconditioning, everything, raising the Kundalini, like I said, all of these are side effects of realizing and abiding as you, as the absolute truth that you are, which is that you are. There is no denying that. There is an absolute truth. There is no opposite to that. There is no non-being that doesn't exist. Nobody has been able to experience that, a non-being experience. You have to be in order to have experience, you see? So something that has no opposite is the absolute truth. There is no duality there. 
it's all about you so yes this is i would say this is the the foundation that needs to be established uh for the adept and from there then consideration of the archetypical mind is useful because then you get to understand a lot more of the activities of the mind you kind of understand better uh, but up to that point i suppose the archetypical mind uh, will only sit in the intellect and that has its limitations of course let's go to the last question i have for today question 30 don says I have an observation on archetype one made by Jim and request comment by Ra. I will read it. The matrix of the mind is the conscious mind and is sustained by the power of the spirit, symbolized by the star, which flows to it through the subconscious mind. It contains the will which is symbolized by the scepter of power in the magician's hand. He continues. And says all of creation is made through the power of the will directed by the conscious mind of the magician the bird in the cage represents the illusion in which the self seems trapped the magician represents maleness or the radiance of being manifested as the creation through which each entity moves now i just read that out of just uh formality <laughs> because rod's not going to answer this or not going to comment they say, as this instrument is becoming somewhat weary, we shall not begin this considerable discussion. We would request that this series of observations be repeated at the outset of the next working. We would suggest that each concept be discussed separately or, if appropriate, a pair of concepts be related one to the other within the concept complex. This is slow work, but shall make the eventual building of the concept complexes more smoothly accomplished. <laughs> oh my god, Ra. Finally, they say, were we to have answered the observations as read by you at this space-time, as much space-time would have been given to the untangling of various concepts as to the building up of what were very thoughtful perceptions. May we ask that if there are any brief queries at this time, uh, May we ask if there are any brief queries at this time? So, I like to find funny things everywhere. And it's funny that in session 89, um, I'll even read it for you. <laughs> so you can see, Don at the end, um, he was asking all kinds of questions about the solar system. And finally, in question 44, he asks something about the archetypical mind, right? Um, he says, would you give me an example of what you mean by using an archetype in a controlled way? <laughs> and so they say, uh, here's the funny part that Ra, uh, they love talking about the archetypical mind. Like that was, you know, their topic, their favorite topic. I'm talking about Ra. And so when <laughs> it's the last question that they can answer, after so many other questions and other topics, and it's finally like, oh, we can finally get to talk about what we love. But they say, we speak with some regret in stating that this shall be our last query of length. And so uh, they basically give a, a short answer. Um, and then I think they suggest, please ask more. <laughs> um, do they? 
I think they say it. In any case, um, they were just regretting, like, oh, so bad we couldn't answer. And then it happens again in, question, in session 90, when they say, well, we can't answer this. <laughs> um, in essence, that last part where they say, um, oh, I went, where did I go? That last part when they say, were we to have answered the observations as read by you at this space-time, as much space-time would have been given to the untangling of various concepts as to the building up of what we, of what were very thoughtful perceptions. <laughs> it's basically saying, if we had, if we made, if we spend time, we would need a lot of time basically to answer the observations, but also to comment on very thoughtful perceptions that Jim had in that um, interpretation or uh, yeah analysis of the card. So it's funny. To me, it's funny that in the last session, they wanted to talk about the archetypical mind right at the end, but not enough energy. <laughs> and now the same thing happened. So yeah, we'll have to wait for that. Uh, as for Jim's observations on the card, I would leave it to you. Um, I just remember, again, I will say that I have never, never, ever uh, studied the tarot, the cards themselves to interpret what they mean. So I would be the last one that you want to listen to <laughs> uh, for a, yeah, for something that makes sense to you or try to interpret it. One thing that I do know is that uh, Jim commented on the star, and I think Ra already said that the star was added by astrological uh, influence and doesn't belong per se in the archetypical mind or the archetype per se. Um, so, yeah, I don't think the, the spirit is symbolized by the star, but hey, it's a nice comment. I kind of like it. I mean, the spirit complex does have a star, right, in one of the archetypes. So, I like it. But I do remember that Ra said, remove the star. The star is not part of the card. The original card, let's say. And, yeah, the rest is... Like Ra said, it's very thoughtful, but... Yeah, it's not... Uh, Ra didn't comment on it. I don't feel at all capable of commenting on that either. So... Um, and then they suggested, of course, please uh, repeat this at the outset of the next working. <laughs> we would request that this series of observations be repeated. I don't, and funny enough, I don't know if Don does it. It doesn't seem like it. Yeah, I, they. I think they go into archetypical mind. They do, but it's not at the outset. <laughs> so, uh, Ra, they wanted to talk about this. In any case, that's really all I have today. We uh, we only had a few questions left and they were pretty short, not too much. Conclusions. Yeah, once again, um, I just recorded a video, you might have watched it already, uh, where I talk about the... how we, we get we have a, a sort of disturbance in our minds that causes uh, 
vibration of confusion, vibratory confusion, I could probably call it. <laughs> there is this epicenter of disturbance, right? Um, that causes vibration of confusion. And that is something that has been embedded in our minds, which is you are a product of this universe. Whatever this universe is, you are that product. And so, like I'd like to say, spirituality is a crisis of identity. The ego will cling to new spiritual identities always, but the ego is made out of something and it knows it. The ego knows this. The ego knows that it's made out of something else other than, other than what is. You see, so this disturbance is that I am a product of the universe. I, myself, am a product of the universe. This creates that seismic activity in the mind, which causes disturbance and confusion. The mystical teachings have always pointed us inwardly, because we're going to find the kingdom of heaven, nirvana, uh, Grunt by Meister Eckhart, uh, the Grunt or the ground of God's being is the same uh, ground of my being. So what is this resolving? This is resolving the crisis of identity, which is who are you? If you identify yourself as the manifested being, then of course you're going to be a product of the universe. Try as you may to explain how it's only going to end up in mythology. It's not going to end up in direct insight. To understand how this manifested being, which we cannot deny exists, how this comes to be, then you have to know who you truly are. By going into yourself, you realize that you are not a product of the universe. You see, the universe is a product of you. And you, we're talking about the universe as a manifested creation or being, then that which is manifested, is a product of you. Not you, the product of the universe. That's reversed. So direct insight brings us to realize this, not conceptually, because conceptually you can agree with that and say, yeah, you know, I like it, I resonate with it, my heart sings to it. And yet, you know, when we sit down for our coffee or uh, when we have to go to work or wash the dishes and so on, interacting with other people. We don't feel it. We don't feel that they are our creation and we are their creation or everything is the creation of this, which is not a, an ego. So we have to dive into this individually and with all the power of, of the universe, which is you. So my invitation is, if I haven't said it already uh, in the past, <laughs> is to explore this. This is the, the ground of being that I, I mentioned my Meister Eckhart used to talk about. Um, because the, once you see the reflection in the mirror as you, you say, oh, this is it. You know, I, I am this and I am creating all of this. This is, this is who I am. But for that, the ego needs to uh, meet its ends. It needs to meet its um, demise, its doom, which is its non-existence, the illusion of believing itself to be a separate being.
So that's my conclusion today, talking about the, the roots of the mind, how deep they go. Well, they go to the very essence of being. Explore that and you will never be disappointed. I guarantee you that. This is the end of this episode. This is the end of session 90. And like I said, in session 91, we're going to get deeper into the archetypical mind. We're gonna start discussing uh, the mind cycle or yeah the mind complex cycle and i think that's going to carry over to several sessions as they explore a lot the mind and i'm grateful for that because the mind is my favorite is the spirit uh, but the mind is a very informative one so i'm glad we're gonna get to discuss that a lot i will try my best to give you my insights into it because like i said i'm not a, a student of the tarot or the archetypical mind um but I can always comment on things, so I hope you find that helpful. And that's it, that's all I got. Uh, I wanted to uh, reach out to you at this last moment if you're listening to this first, I'm grateful. Uh, second, I would be ever more grateful if you can support me on Patreon because uh, that's a decent source for me to, um, for people who appreciate what I do here and what I continue, what I continue to do. Uh, so. It's a, it's a great way for you to support what I do. I appreciate it. Uh, but you just watching this is helpful enough. Just make sure you hit all the alarms and bells that exist on this video so you can uh, shake up a little bit more the algorithm. I appreciate that too. And that's all I have to say. Thank you once again. And I'll see you in the next session, which is session 91.